Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circus Radio Program. My name is Frank Santorosky, I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk over everything racing. I'm joined in the studio by my two great friends, Seth and Richard. Seth, my NASCAR guy, and Richard, my Formula One go-to guy. Fellas, how you doing? Doing good. Very good, thank you. All right, great to talk to you. So we have become fond of this expression on our show whenever we're doing our predictions, and that expression goes, I think that this week Martin Truex will finally win his first short track race. And, um, you know, so far, no dice, but uh, guess what? Uh, you know, Richmond, Richmond, and Martin Truex finally has that little monkey off his back. Uh, so now he's won on. Uh, road courses, you know, larger ovals, and finally got that short track win. So good on Martin Truex. The other two big winners of the weekend were Lewis Hamilton, who uh, pretty much led the whole race um, on Formula One's 1,000th jamboree uh, in China. And uh, the IndyCar series was on hand in Long Beach uh, for the longest continuously running uh, street race in North America. Alexander Rossi, again... Just a dominating performance there as well. Uh, you know, pretty much uh, uh, like Sebastian Bourdais said, it was a what, what did he say? He said it was an ass whipping contest or an ass whipping yes. display, something like that. So, uh, uh, anyway, so uh, sure, Long Beach, Rossi, you put him on a clinic. Uh, you know, he he stopped the field, but the the bigger controversy came in third place um, at the on the final lap. Uh, Scott Dixon was trying to get around Graham Rahal. Graham made a, a, a defensive move, maybe a second defensive move. I don't know. I mean, it depends on who you ask. Um, but then when they, when they, after they took the checkered and parked the cars, they decided to go ahead and swap those positions. Now, the blocking call has been controversial in IndyCar. I mean, we've seen this. We saw Elio get one on a street race. I can't mm-hmm. remember if it was Baltimore or Detroit several years ago. Um, I think Pagano got one at one point in time. Just... Wasn't the one at like one of the uh, old airport track or you know airstrip tracks a few years ago as well? Yeah, yeah one of those. But Edmonton, yeah. So, but I want to say, you know, this was in the middle of the race, and we said, okay, take a stop and go penalty. And then cash back up. That's one thing. This is the last lap. This is for position. These guys had crossed the line. And then race control decides to go ahead and say, uh, yeah, by the way, we're going to switch your positions. I mean, what if this was for the lead? Well, Rahal was out of the push to pass, wasn't he? So that's why he was defending probably more aggressively than he would normally have been able to. Right. And he, he was out of tires as well, admittedly. Yeah. Admittedly, he was out. He was a sitting duck. But there's one lap to go in the race, and he held off to the checkers. Right? Isn't isn't yep. that what we isn't that what we do in racing? Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. So he. I mean, you know, two three more laps in that race, 
Yeah, Ray Hall's fourth anyway. But, uh, you know, he managed to hold off a charge at the end and then gets told, oh, yeah, you finished P4. What, what do you think, Richard? I thought it was terrible. I thought it was disgraceful. I mean, you know, these guys race. That's what they're there to do. I mean, I, I, I watched it, and at no point during the whole, you know, race that I ever think, oh, yeah, oh, that was a bad move. Oh, yeah, oh, he's going to be lucky to get... I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. Um, yeah, I thought it was... It's just... It's Again, it strikes me a little bit of... And we talked about this before on, on the show. You know, IndyCar just have this ability to shoot themselves in the foot. This is another prime example. I mean, not that it's going to get much media attention, but you know, within the fans fan base, it's going to be like, "Geez, guys, what are they doing?" Well, if I may, uh, I know we don't cover it that often or mention it that often. Uh, Formula E also fe- uh, feels like it's going down the same route. IndyCar oh, is because yeah. they just came out with a rule, uh, something about no beating and banging or something like that. Well, they, they, you know, if you look at the Formula E car, they've got so many bumper you know it looks like the old indy cars from a couple of years ago with all those aero shrouds around the wheels i mean if you watch the start of a formula e race and you can see it more in those cars because you can't hear the engines you know you go down into turn one with those cars and they're bumping and banging and going into some of those corners so it's all a little bit silly um but i thought that the call on um rahel was was a pretty poor call in all fairness um you know, the guy's had a pretty rough couple of weeks after his teammate walked away at the previous race. And then he, you know, and he had the uh, engine failure, I think it was, or, you know, a retirement. And then he was putting up a pretty uh, decent show. That was it. Yeah, and he was putting up, a, you know, a pretty decent show this last weekend. And then got basically, you know, not disqualified, but penalized for just driving a normal. Yeah, I thought the guy got a pretty, pretty raw deal there, I thought. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, like I say, if it wasn't the last lap, maybe I could see it. But but he, even then, it, it wasn't blatant, you know. But he no. was he, he was a sitting duck. Uh, you know, so the popular opinion amongst IndyCar fans is that Dixon whined and Dixon got his way. Yeah, I mean, has anybody here ever watched those last like ten laps at Monaco in two thousand or nineteen ninety two when Mansell was trying to get past Senna? I mean, geez, IndyCar officials would have a stroke if they saw that race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, yeah or, uh, Senna, or Monaco in um, 84 when uh, uh, Senna Coleman, was, yeah. uh, was, was, was gaining on Prost. He said, Prost, yeah. hey, we need to stop the race. It's too wet. Yeah. Or uh, oh. any NASCAR race in Martinsville. Good cheese, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, uh, no, I, I mean, it, it's interesting, but I, I, I think uh, you know, there have been a couple of articles written that say it sets a dangerous precedent. And I, I want to agree. It's it's rather dangerous precedent. They say, oh, you can't race to the checkers. Because they're racing to the checkers. At what point do you race then? Exactly. Ten laps? You know, or no, just do what they do in Formula 1 and race around pit stops. There you go, yeah. So, that I mean, that takes some of the drama out of it. But I thought, you know, Graham did a great job defending his position and holding on. Oh, holding yeah. on, and then they, you know, and, and to Graham's credit... He took it like a man, very diplomatically, you know, very pragmatic about it. He he said, yes, yes, I did block. Um, You know, was it blade enough? Was it enough for a penalty? I don't know. He said, it's up to the series. He did did say, oh, yeah, we know there's favoritism. You know, I don't know that there's heavy favoritism in there, but you you figure a guy like Scott Dixon talks, people listen, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There we go. I've said what I want to say on that one. It was All right. pretty so poor. Seth, Seth, <laughs> you have, Seth, you have any more thoughts on this one? I'm good on this one. All right. So, uh, so next up for the series is um, the Indy 500. Uh, well, no, the, Indi- the Indianapolis Grand Prix. I'm sorry, but the month of May that, that kicks off with the Grand Prix of Indianapolis or the the IndyCar Grand Prix, they call it now. Um, and, and we're lining up the entries, you know, a couple of, uh, uh, people are still looking for a few more entries coming in. Uh, Ghost hasn't announced, uh, whether or not they'll be in Harding announced today that they are going to just run the one car, uh, for Colton Herta. Um, 
uh, Sage Karam is in the other dry and Ryan car that keeps being hinted to be J.R. Hildebrand, but nothing official yet. But the cars will take to the um, Speedway on April 24th for an open test. And there's 28 cars confirmed for that. Um, so the, the bulk of the field will be there. Uh, I mean, this being said, <clears throat> last year we saw two cars bumped, uh, Pippa Man and James Hinchcliffe. Now, Roger Penske had said something last year along the lines of he wished there was a little bit of protection for these guys that run the entire series. Uh, Chip Ganassi got on board earlier this week saying he agrees with Roger. We should have that protection for those guys. Now, the backlash to this is Indy 500 needs to be the fastest 33. If you're not if you're not there, if you don't have the speed to get in the field, you need to go home. I get that. I appreciate that. But this day and age, right, in the current economic climate, it's tough for a team to attract a sponsor who will sign on for a full full season. I mean, the rotating livery uh, is in most forms of racing right now because nobody wants to sign on for, for a full season. How much harder is it to say, hey, Ben, you're on for the full season. We might get to Indy. We might not. We don't know. Um, But selling that sponsorship package to say, hey, we're running the full series, which puts us a spot in Indy, is a better sell. And it it takes care of the health and well-being of the guys that support the series full time. That's an unpopular opinion. Now, Seth, you got some thoughts on this? Well, yes. It, it does remind me a lot of the idea of the top 35 rule, which used to be king in NASCAR starting around 2008 or so. It came in to being in 2007, 2008 because of the economic climate at that time to give teams an opportunity to go to a sponsor and say, hey, we're guaranteed to start this week because we are in the top 35 in owner points. Uh, I understand the rule. I understand why it came to be in NASCAR. I understand why they're talking about it in the car. But there needs to be a good split. And I don't mean a split like how IndyCar did back in the 90s. Uh, I mean a good split of guaranteeing enough of the full-time competitors but leaving enough spots open for the one-off drivers. Right now, NASCAR, they have the charter system, which guarantees 36 spots, and then you have four, as they call them, open teams. Uh, Whether or not something could be done in IndyCar along those lines, maybe guaranteeing there's, what, maybe 23 full-time teams, 24? There's... Realistically, there's 20 guys. Okay, so say there's 20. There's there's 20 guys that run the full series. There's 22 full series entries. Two two cars that run the full series are shared. Okay, so... Ed Ed Carpenter shares his car, and um, the other one is the uh, car of the car that's shared between Award and uh, Kimball. Now, now, here's the rub, right? So that car... That Carlin car that's shared between um, Award and Kimball, Carlin's going to have three cars at Indy. Okay, so so which one would get the guarantee? Well, right? There's, there's Cer- certainly they're one full-time guy who's Chilton. There's that A. B, where I was going with this is there's, what, 36, 37 uh, entries that we'll, we're expecting for the Indy 500? Something uh, like right, that. Right, right now there's... 33 confirmed, right? There's they're 33 looking at, confirmed, but they're we're... looking at maybe 35, 36, 37 on the high end. Okay, okay a, lo- so... a lot of these last minute entries are not coming to fruition. So, but realistically, if you say there's 22 full time cars, that still leaves 11 wild cards. Yes, which to me, that is a good spread because you have two thirds of the field uh, that's full-time there just about every single week whether the driver is uh, rotating or not then you have one third which is 
you know, to the NASCAR comparison, an open team. Um, uh, again, uh, being the NASCAR guy, I understand. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey guys, gut check. If your six-pack abs are covered with flab, it's time to cut the fat. Lose weight the easy way with Nutrisystem for men. Now delivering hearty inspirations meals that fill you up without letting you down. We're talking bigger lunches and bigger dinners packed with protein to control hunger for up to five hours. From savory bourbon chicken to mouth-watering meatloaf, they're exactly what a man's body needs to power through the day. You get breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and snacks all fully prepared, totally delicious and delivered free to your door. No salads, no juices, just real food for serious appetites. Order today and get all new fuel shakes for men. They're made with the key ingredient Velocitol that doubles the power of protein to help you maintain muscle mass while losing weight and feeling satisfied. Don't wait any longer. Order now for a simple way to lose weight, build strength, boost energy, and burn fat. Go to Nutrisystem.com protein to lock in your special deal. Offer restrictions apply. See website for details why in nascar we have some rules like say the uh the lucky dog green white checkered stuff like that but i understand why open wheel doesn't have it because it's a different tradition it's a different legacy there compared to nascar should everything in nascar or anything in nascar be applied to indycar or vice versa that's not really for me to say that being said I understand why Roger Penske and Chip Ganassi are advocating for this. The one thing I'm afraid of is because if I'm right, there was something similar going on in the 90s that eventually led to the split between CART and IndyCar. Okay, so I'll I'll go ahead and jump on that one and tell you that this was after the split. Okay. It's what, what everyone is referred to is what they call the 25 slash eight rule. Um, and this is when Tony George conceived and started running the Indy racing league. Um, and he guaranteed that the Indianapolis 500 to the starters or to the full-time enters in the Indy racing league, which was his fledgling series um, and eight, eight wildcard spots. So the 25, a rule, was designed to keep all of the guys running cart because you got to figure there's a whole entire other series, right? That have cars that are that that are eligible to run your race. So it was to keep them at bay to make sure that his the the cart series did not usurp the entire Indy 500 field and and leave his regulars out. Now we have one series now. Okay, so we're not talking about keeping the the rival series out uh, to make sure that that our guys are rewarded for their loyalty. We're 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 talking about taking care of the guys that are loyal to the one series we have, and, and maybe it's it's a kick in the nuts to the to the the, the indie only guys or the one offs. But you know, there's still like I said, there's eleven wild card spots. But why not? reward these guys that run the entire series week in and week out and say, yes, when you sell your sponsorship package to whatever corporation you're selling to, you can say, and you will see our car in the Indy 500. You know, Arrow dumped a million dollars into a hospitality at the uh, Indy 500 last year only to see James Hinchcliffe get bumped. Yeah, un- unfortunate, yes, but uh, and luckily, Arrow was kind of cool with it. But if that was somebody else looking to join the sport and and taking a one million dollar bath, uh, they're not coming back. And you know, sponsors are hard to come by this day and age in racing. So I, I see no problem with taking care of those guys that run the full series week in and week out. 
And I know everyone says, oh, it has to be the fastest 33. It has to be the fastest 33. Well, there should probably be a minimum speed requirement. I mean, I don't think you could just say, oh, I'll, uh, you know, do me a uh, NASCAR Fontana, not run a lap, but I know I'm guaranteed a spot. You know what I'm saying? So it's 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 a double-edged sword, but because uh, everybody is tradition, tradition, tradition has to be the fastest 33. So, Richard, your thoughts? Personally, I think they should be some guaranteed spots. Um, and again, it's looking at it not from a sporting perspective, because I think as a sporting perspective, you should have the fastest 33 or 36, however many you, you, you allow in the race. But if you look at it from a business perspective, you, you look at the big teams, you know, the um, Penske's, the Andretti's, the... Um, you know the Ganassi teams out there. They all they all have reasonably high profile sponsors. You know the Verizons, the Nappers, the, you know the, the guys like that of the world. The, the the companies that are recognizable to people on the street. And that's an important tool not only for the the series to have these sort of high profile sponsors, but also for the sponsors to be able to promote their brand at the Indy 500. So we've talked about this many times. One of the problems that IndyCar has at the moment is the Indy 500 is like their, you know, the Indy 500 is their big, big event of the year. And it probably that one race props up, excuse me, the rest of the season in all fairness. So if you're a sponsor and you've got a guarantee, you know, that you are guaranteed to have a car in the race. There's probably a bit of a premium involved in that, um, you know, deal. Now, that's not to say that the chances of a Penske or a Ganassi not qualifying are relatively slim. But, you know, again, yeah, you... But it has happened. Oh, yeah, it has. I mean, exactly. in 1995, Roger Penske could not get his cars into the field. Yeah. And so sat on the is... sidelines after winning the race the year before. Yeah, uh, so, you know, what is the, what benefits the series and the sport more? And again, I'm not trying to make this, say this in a derogatory way, but, you know, you have a, a Verizon-sponsored Penske car in there. Or you, with a, you know, big name driver, Will Power or whoever. Or you have a, and, and the, goodness me, none of these guys that attempt the Indy 500 are amateur drivers. But, you know, uh, somebody who hasn't maybe competed for a number of years or somebody who has a bit part schedule and, you know, comes and goes and doesn't really have the same level of professionalism with, you know, some... Sure, like a, like a, like a Sage Karam or J.R. Yeah. Hildebrand. Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of those indie onlys. Who, yeah, and, and, and the, you know, you look at their sponsor, there's some... Um, family business or some mom and pop business that wants to throw a few hundred thousand dollars at a Indy 500 entry or whatever that nobody's going to remember and nobody's really going to pay much attention to. So, you know, from a series standpoint, it's all about these blue chip and these high profile companies, you know, and that's what they want. They want these organizations. And from a team's perspective, if, if they can guarantee an entry then it's better. I think it's better for them. It's better for the sport, and it's better for the profile of the series. Absolutely, yeah. Purely from a business perspective, and a, but from a sporting perspective, yeah, they should, you know, go at it. And if you don't get in, tough. But I think from a <clears throat> from a business perspective, you need a certain amount of guarantees. Well, you need to do what's going to be best to grow the sport in the future. Yeah. Uh, no, that's he, what I mean. So we, we all have to accept that, yeah, uh, racing is not only a sport, but it's a business. Yep. And and that that's how things work. So anyway, I mean, how so, many? How, sorry, very quickly. How many teams that? Here's a question for you. In you know, I probably don't you know the answer off the top of the head, but how many teams have tried to you know who've done a one-off entry into the Indy 500, not qualified? And then gone on to become a full-time series regular. Not many. Not many, yeah. And this is the other thing. If you have that little dangling carrot out there for a guy who runs a part-time schedule or an indie-only entry, and he, he may be able to entice his sponsor to throw in the extra couple bucks to run the full series and strengthen the field week after week. 
Oh yeah. And, no, uh, uh, Dryer and Reinbold picks up some decent sponsors uh, for their Indy 500 only entry. You know, Wix filters. And, is, but but you know, it's like the, the cost of an indie effort. You know, the the bump up to run a full full uh, season is not that much more, honestly. And no. just a quick comparison to NASCAR uh, recently. And I want to say it was 2014, Tanner Berryhill and his family-owned team were attempting the uh, Xfinity race. And Tanner had said if he didn't qualify for that race, that was it. They were not going to have money to run for the rest of the season. And that was when they were doing the group qualifying at the super speedways. Unfortunately, he got caught up in a wreck in qualifying. Until last year with the biker racing, he had been on the sidelines because that was their one shot to get a sponsor. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. And that was the breaks of the game, yeah. So, but 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 you're talking a one-off guy there. So I, I don't know. There's there's no easy answer to this. But 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 the the most important thing you need to remember. If you're going to hang your hat on what's been done in the past and say, oh, it's tradition, 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 you know, those that live in the past, there's plenty of good jobs for you. You know, museum curator, Civil War (laughs) reenactor, you know, those, 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 that's car. Oh, Richard, you're horrible. You're horrible. <laughs> I was going to say archaeologist, but you said NASCAR. So, but speaking of NASCAR, um, we'll go. We'll go ahead and move on to our NASCAR segment. Um, the last thing I do want to mention is that uh, uh, Indy, the Indy cars will be testing at the Speedway. Uh, Fernando Alonso will be there. We talked about him testing at Texas. Um, and hey, the other little bit of news is that Zach Brown has been kind of you know on again, off again, really teasing with his uh oh you know if we decide to go full-time indycar racing it's more of a matter of when than if and he's been teasing this for oh since 2017 now so i mean if mclaren jumps full-time into indycar um that would only be a plus for the series i'll just put it that way and uh, the word on the street is they're talking to pat ward um as a second driver to maybe Alonzo or whoever their first driver happens to be. I don't know. Cause Alonzo was so flighty with what he wants to do. So Seth. Yes. NASCAR was at Richmond. Yes, it was like, like we mentioned earlier, uh, our friend Martin Truex jr. Finally got that monkey off his back. So, uh, take us through the NASCAR race real quick. And, and, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, run that down a bit. Well, although the box score will show that Truex dominated the race leading, just under half the race, it originally was going to be the Kyle Busch show once again until Kyle Busch was busted for speeding on pit road. Uh, and for whatever reason, the race took a somewhat unexpected turn in the fact that it was hard to pass. And I don't mean just for Kyle Busch, it was hard for pass for everybody. Uh, you couldn't go anywhere. Uh, eight drivers at the start of the race had to go to the rear of the field due to inspection failures for one reason or another. Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson from Hendrick Motorsports, Eric Alvarola and Daniel Suarez from Stuart Haas Racing, Denny Hamlin and Eric Jones from Joe Gibbs Racing, Joey Gase, and Matt Tift. And I believe for Hamlin it was some sort of mechanical measurement. For Johnson it was wheel studs. Uh, They were too short. But overall, of those drivers, Hamlin was the only one to even make it into the top ten, let alone the top five. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, the best he could get up to was 12th. After Kyle Busch's speeding penalty, the best he could get up to was 8th. So it was an uncharacteristically hard-to-pass race at Richmond. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, after seeing the pretty good show they put on in Bristol, I was looking for more out of the Richmond race. And it just, for me, it didn't deliver. It was like very processional, you know? Well, I think this might be an unintended consequence of the 2019 rules package because we had the same exact package or style package that we had at at, uh, Bristol last week. And 
unfortunately, for Bristol and for Martinsville, it produced some pretty decent shows. But with the different banking and a different length at Richmond, it reminded me a lot of the intermediate tracks from last year, which were very profession, uh, processional, like you said. Granted, the top four finished practically under a blanket, but that was in part because of lap traffic. If we didn't have that lap traffic, Truex would have been long gone. Long gone, yeah. So, Richard, your thoughts on this race? Don't you love it when I put you on the spot? It was a very professional race, wasn't it? It was, you know, the, the, I mean, I guess, you know, it's Truex got the monkey off his back, didn't he, really? About all you can say about the race. I mean, they did a job. He got his first win in the 19 car. Uh, you know, he went on a short track. Um, it was, it was the tr- it was the type of race that I think that they were, um, you know, looking to avoid with this new aero package. And they're not going to get it right every time. I mean, Richmond is one of these sort of you know, difficult tracks. Really, it's you know it's somewhere between your Bristol's and your mile and a half, isn't it? Well, obviously because it's a mile long, that's, that's sort of pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Oh boy. Um, but Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner so uh, no they it, it's hard i think you know do you, you end up with a rules package for every every track you know you you've got to be a little bit careful that you don't go down that route because it just becomes too complicated and you're going to end up in a situation where we talked about before you know that the bigger teams have um, um more resources yeah so they're going to pick out you know oh well at this race we're going to have this package so let's run the simulation at this race they're going to have that rules package so let's run this simulation you know if you make it the same for every race which I know they can't, but you know the, the 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 simpler the rules, the harder it is for these teams to get and you know a big advantage in a short space of time. And the Xfinity series was back in action as well. Uh, Cole Custer dominated the race. He and Justin Allgaier uh, led virtually the entire race. Cole Custer got his second win of the season, first time in his career that he's won two Xfinity races in a single season. Uh, we had some nice surprises in the top ten, let alone the top five. Ryan Sieg, his family-owned team, finished fifth. Uh, again, they put a lot of resources into their team this year. New cars from RCR, new engines from RCR. They hired Shane Wilson, uh, who used to be, I want to say he was Daniel Hemrick's crew chief last year. Uh, and it's... Mm, just, it used to be Brendan Gordon's crew chief, I know that. But Brendan didn't run last yeah, year. Yeah, no, no, I think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think he was, I don't think he was at RCR last year. I may be wrong in saying that, but... Uh... But uh, at the same time, Ryan Sieg, this is first top five, not at a super speedway, since 2017. Uh, Zane Smith, in just his second start, got a top ten finish. Riley Herbst, as well, his second start, a top ten finish. And one of the best surprises, Dylan Bassett, in the Mario Goslin DGM Racing Chevrolet, uh, started 33rd because qualifying was rained out. Climbed all the way up to the top 10 before the end of the first stage, only to get caught out on pitch strategy, fall out of the top 10, finish 15th in his debut. Well, good for him, man. That's awesome. Solid. Solid, solid performance there. Yeah, so um, so Seth, there's some news about the All-Star race, right? We yes. announced the, uh, announced the uh, format. Yes, the format is going to be very similar to last year. Uh, it will be 30 laps, 20 laps, 20 laps, and 15 laps. So it's a grand total of 85, four stages, uh, overtime rules in effect at the end of every stage. In the final stage, only green flag laps count. And if there's a caution with uh, two laps or less to go, unlimited green flag or green-white checkered finishes. Uh, the all-star uh, field... unlimited till they run out of fuel in the tanks. <laughs> I guess, well, right? Exactly. Uh, the all-star field is set by winners from both this season, and last season. 
past champions and past winners of the All-Star Race. Uh, the winners of the three stages of the Monster Energy Open and NASCAR fan vote winner, which this year will not be Chase Elliott since he's already in the All-Star Race. Okay, so all, all three stage winners will transfer? Yes. Okay, and then plus the fan vote. Yes. And like I say, Chase and Danica are not there, so who do you like for the fan vote of somebody who's not already in? Honestly, well, that, that, that's just a good question. Honestly, I'd go with either Bubba Wallace or Ryan Priest. What about Bubba Daniel Suarez? Good call, yeah. Suarez I, I can see would Bubba be Wallace getting a fan well. yeah. Uh, and there's two new technical elements. Uh, there will be a single-piece carbon fiber uh, splitter pan that will be underneath the car that it will improve the ride height sensitivity for the competitors and provide a more stable aero platform, which should create a more consistent performance in traffic. The other element is all the cars must be configured with a radiator exit duct through the hood. Both of these will potentially be a part of the Gen 7 car that is slated to debut in the 2021 Clash. All right, interesting stuff. So, uh, Richard, kind of explain this uh, thing through the hood here. I mean, you're our, you've worked on race cars. You're our engineer. So uh, what, what exactly are we talking about? Well, cynically, you'd say the main thing they want to do is try and, um, you know, simulate the, the road-going versions of these cars, uh, which is, I know, something they're looking more closely at for uh, 2021, I think it is, the Gen 7. But I think the main purpose of what they're trying to do here um, is get air away from underneath the car. Um, you're almost in the realms of generating ground effect cars these days. Um, if you were to look at the the underneath uh, of, a, of a cup car these days, it's sealed in almost every location possible. Um, you know, Everything from the uh, radiator pan through to the steering arms, through to the engine mounts, they're all trying to be flush and the same height across the entire underbelly of the car to, to keep the aero clean um, and generate huge amounts of downforce that way. Um, so the potential what they're trying to do here is um, you know, move air away from there and reduce the downforce generated by the underside of the car and have the overbody um, downforce a little bit more um, uh, effective. It'll be interesting to see how that goes, um, how, how they work. That's going to be a lot of hot air traveling over the uh, o- over the top of the car, so it'll be be interesting to see what they uh, what they manage to achieve with that. But um, I, it's not a bad move, I don't think. Um, you know, you've seen a little bit of it recently with the um, front ducts that they have in the cars now for on the intermediate tracks. Again, that's trying to manipulate, trying to limit how much the teams manipulate airflow around the front of the car, underneath the car, and through the wheel openings and the like. So um, there's a lot of um, a lot of work going on there, and um, I'm, I'm guessing that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to uh, reduce the airflow under the car. All right, we uh, get the All Star race. We've got a couple other races ahead. Uh, where where are we next? Is it is it Kansas next or Talladega? Talladega. They're off oh, this weekend, aren't they? Silly me. Yeah, yeah. Well, Easter's coming this week, so Talladega next. And then, All right. So, do we want to make some uh, calls for Talladega? Make a prediction for Talladega? Well, this will be the first time they're using just a tapered spacer and not the restrictor plate, so it's a big unknown as to what we're going to see. So, I'm just going to go with somebody who's been winning this year and say Kyle Busch. Not a bad call. Richard, who do you like for Talladega? Is it the guy I always pick for these speedway events? Because I think he's going to pull one off eventually. It's Paul Menard. Okay, and I, I'll, I'm going to go with, again, like I said, this is a big wild card here. So I'm going to go with Keselowski. He knows his way around Talladega, even though it's not a restricted play race. So that, I mean, that'll all play itself out in time. So um, Now, Richard? Yeah. 
Yes, we have uh, 22 full minutes to talk about Formula One. And um, it was our friend Lewis Hamilton who took his 75th win in Formula One's 1,000th race. I mean, that's two little milestone um, mm-hmm. moments at once. So uh, at the same time, uh, just go ahead and take us through it. Well, of all the races, you give me 20 minutes to talk about it. It's this one, isn't it? You know, we normally sorry, have an sorry. amazing I'm race. We could talk for two minutes about the race and, and 18 minutes for something else. Thousandth race. Um, and it's been a little bit, I don't know. It, it feels like it's been one of these events that Liberty Media and Formula One and the FIA and everybody have been trying to push. Oh, it's the thousandth race, thousandth race. But it was like, bleh. You know, if it had been a, a Monaco or a Silverstone or a Spa or a Monza, I think it would have had far more effect. The fact that it was in, you know, China, which is relatively new to the Formula One um, scene, it's, you know, in the US it was on at two o'clock in the morning on the East Coast, so that's like seven o'clock in the morning in most of Europe. You know, it didn't have the TV coverage. I don't think it was even shown live on free-to-air TV in the UK. It was on like a, you know, catch-up show or premium TV. So it just it just didn't really have that, some, you know, that's something about it. It was quite a bland race, I think, and, the, the, you know, the, the, the events around it were a little bit almost forced, I think is probably a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the most exciting moment of the weekend was Bonus nipping Lewis for the pole. Yeah, uh, or you can have but, a but, Hill. See, but, but that on race, on race day, that didn't make a difference yeah, anyway. Day, yeah. Um, the other good thing I thought about the whole race weekend was Damon Hill driving his father's Lotus from 1968 or something. It sounded like a proper race car. Um, but yeah, the actual race itself and the whole race weekend, you know, coming out of Bahrain, you, did, you expected the Ferraris again to... <coughs> excuse me. Be quick and competitive, you know, after Leclerc arguably should have won... Bahrain, um, and it just didn't materialise. You've got to wonder if, you know, when you look at Australia, every, you know, Ferrari said they were overly conservative on cooling. Then they went more aggressive in Bahrain, and they had a failure of a, a component within the hybrid system. Um, I'm guessing it overheated. So, you know, maybe when they went to Bahrain, they were too aggressive on their lack of cooling. Um, and then so coming to China, they had to go back to their conservative cooling package, which was, you know, what you saw in Melbourne. So maybe that's what's catching them out a little bit. Maybe they have a fundamentally quick car. It's just they can't cool the thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was I think the top 10 were all, you know, looked like Noah's Ark with people coming out there two by two um, within each team. You had the Mercedes, Ferraris, Red Bulls, then the Hasses and the Renaults was it, I think all made up the top 10 in that, in that order. And, you know, the race again was pretty subdued. Hamilton got the, got ahead of Bottas at the start. Leclerc got ahead of Vettel. Um, and then Ferrari pulled the team orders and swapped that, which I thought was a little bit unnecessary. I mean, cause Vettel wasn't particularly close. Um, and, you know, Leclerc held his own, even when, uh, Vettel got past him and then oh goodness me what um, Kvyat um, had a little bit of a um, um, you know he, he hasn't changed in the last two years has he really he had a, a little bit of a torpedo fade. moment yeah brain fade in, in turn one two whatever you want to call it no it was, uh, was it that corner or was it no it was later on lap it was like turns four or five wasn't it and Managed to take out both McLarens in one move. Um, I mean, they 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 finished the race, but they were you know had quite substantial damage to both of those McLarens. Um, I think Lando Norris has probably got. I think it was Lando Norris who actually got airborne. He's probably. Uh, and Lando Norris actually retired with six laps to go. Okay, yeah, probably from back pain because uh, you know when those things land on the curbs, like you know when they go a couple of feet in the air and then land. Ooh, yeah, you feel that. Um, what else did we see from the race? You know, again, poor race pace from Haas. They say they're struggling to get the tyres into their operating window when it comes to temperature. That may well be the case. Um, that's like a mechanical setup thing, a suspension geometry and and the like there, rather than aero thing. Aero is normally you know your one lap performance. Um, 
Renault again still struggling from uh, reliability. I believe Hulkenberg retired this week, so that's three. That's what four four cars have retired from six possible finishes in the first three races. So they're really struggling there. Uh, again, the Williams were were a good you know half a second to a second a lap off the pace and uh, in race trim and you know it gets um it's difficult for them you know they're struggling there's signs maybe of minor improvements you know they're in qualifying the half a second off rather than a second off but um yeah they they need they need um you know barcelona to come up pretty quickly when i'm guessing it's barcelona where they're going to have their new package um, or revised package um, but then again everybody else is going to have a revised package so how much are you going to gain uh, so for a, for a thousandth race unfortunately it was a little bit of an anticlimax, and um, I think everybody now is just looking forward to the next race in Azerbaijan which as we've seen from the previous events there is normally a pretty good race and um, yeah, that's, yeah that's a good one yeah yeah I think everybody's looking forward to that one a little bit and um yeah, China's one of those events which is, if it was to fall off the calendar, I don't think it would be a huge loss. Um, there has been talk about a street race in Beijing um, or somewhere in China, which I think would be good. Um, I think the, I think if you've seen Singapore and Bahrain come through, definitely, oh, sorry, definitely um, Azerbaijan, sorry, rather than Bahrain, Azerbaijan come through. You know, you, street races don't have to be boring anymore. Singapore's had a few had a few snooze fests, and of course, Monaco's just purely there for the tradition rather than the actual racing. But you look at what Azerbaijan's brought to the table, and, and people are starting to say, well, you know what, we can have actually some pretty entertaining street races now. So if we actually sit down and design this track properly, we can come up with a pretty good package. And obviously, the package you design is based upon the um, streets that are available to you to a greater extent. Um, but, uh, you know, well, you never know. Yeah, so... If you, you know, it so could work. now, now we're now Rich, we're, we're a couple races in, right? We're a couple races in, and pretty much every race has been a Mercedes one-two. Yep, first time since yep. nineteen ninety-two. Yep. So, so I mean, we were expecting a much more competitive season. With we, you know, the Ferraris were hyped to one. I mean, is this? I mean, I mean, are we done? Are, are we seeing Lewis Hamilton no. going to go ahead and? Uh, with his sixth championship, I know it's a long season, but uh, you know it's just like wow, it's, just, it's been a letdown because we're expecting somebody to mm-hmm. up and actually challenge. The, the best challenge we got was Leclerc, and his thing went up and smoke. Yeah, you know with, well, with the car. I, I, so uh, and the, and the Mercedes were right there to just pick up the scraps. I think if you te- you know if you'd taken pre-season testing out of it and you've taken Bahrain out of it, yeah, you'd probably say, okay, this is going to be a, another Mercedes uh, parade. But no matter what anybody says, those throws are fundamentally fast. They have a quick car. You, know, you look at the um, setup there and the... Um, you know, the raw pace in that car that they showed during pre-season testing that they showed in Bahrain is there. They just need to learn how to extract it properly. I don't think Mercedes have that pace. I really don't. I think if you could have, and I'm guessing, I'm, I'm guessing here, going back to the cooling package scenario, if you purely have the best and optimum cooling packages on both cars, um, the Ferrari is a faster car. It's just they need to get into that window and they need to work out how to do that pretty quick. Because that's one of the downsides of um, pre-season testing in, in Barcelona. It's pretty damn cold in the middle of winter out there. And, you know, you're not really testing your cooling packages to the fullest extent. I mean, back in the day, they used to go out and um, test in, uh, you know, test in Bahrain and places like that to get some real hot weather testing and to really stress the engines out. And obviously that's not something they can do it, you know, they don't do anymore because of the uh, expense. But... Um, I think it's. Um, I, th- I think we need to give it a few more races before we turn around and say, "Well, you know what, Ferrari, are, Ferrari are done." Because I think there is there is pace in those cars, and they just need to unlock it. And there's other little side notes as well. You know, how are the Hondas going to develop in the Red Bull? Uh, they're showing promise. Uh, you know, a Haas. Who's going to win that fourth place crown? You know, Haas, Renault, Racing Point, uh, Sauber. 
you know, who, who's going to come out of the pack to, to, to lead that sort of second tier, um, I think is another interesting battle that we're going to have on our hands throughout the season. Yeah, there's a lot of great developing stories out there in Formula One. So now, are we Azerbaijan this coming weekend, or are I they off the following for... weekend? I believe it's the following okay, weekend. So everybody's off for Easter Sunday. Correct. Yeah. And then, then we're back to racing. Azerbaijan, I love that place, man. Yeah, I think uh, it's, I mean, a, it's a great I, mix. How do you? I, I I love the fake uh, drapes they put over the apartment buildings to make it look like uh, fancy apartment buildings. Oh yes, I mean, and you know. Make how, it look good on TV, yeah, but, yeah, but the you, race course itself, the race course of it, itself is very challenging. It is. Oh, no, it, 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 it certainly is. Um, you know, how do you set your car up? Do you set your car up for the twisty sections around the old castle, or do you set your car up for that drag race that's like a mile and a half where you're, you're wide open full throttle? Um, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult challenge. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it's good. Um I know you want to. I know we want to touch on a couple more NASCAR things before we finish. But if you want a, a nice little link between NASCAR and, and Formula One, um, Charles Leclerc's race engineer, um, a former colleague of mine, Chevy Marcos, he used to be um, Austin Dillon's um, not race engineer at uh, RCR, but he was the senior or the, the lead race engineer at RCR. So he looked after all the drivers. Um, but there's certainly, you know, as, as the world's getting smaller, there is a lot of movement between these series now and uh you know it, it highlights how uh, how technical nascar is getting now despite what people think and just one note on baku uh uh the grand prix course there it, if anyone watches uh, the grand tour on amazon uh they actually went to baku uh this year and something i learned from that there's actually sections of the course where they leave the walls up year round they don't actually okay. uh, dismantle them Mm, there you go. Yeah, no, I, could, I, mean, oh, I don't know. That, that's interesting. Yeah. So now, Seth, you sure that's not just the castle? Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's not just the <laughs> castle because this was over by the uh, Parliament Building area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So now, Seth, you wanted to mention that Jimmy Johnson was racing. Yes, he was racing during, on Monday, week, but but he wasn't. He wasn't racing in a race car. So, Correct. Uh, uh, Let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit. For anyone who knows Jimmy Johnson or has heard in recent years, he's become quite an athlete, not just in the car, but also out of the car. Uh, he bicy- he does bicycling, marathons, etc., Ironman competitions recently, or different kinds of Ironman competitions. Anyway, he ran the Boston Marathon. Uh, he completed the marathon 26.2 miles, in three hours, nine minutes, and seven seconds. And he had a goal of completing it in under three hours. So he came very, very close to actually beating that time. And I believe he finished 19th in class. I don't know what class he was in, I'll be honest. But yeah, I don't know what classes they have at the Boston Marathon. I guess they got... Uh... Old guys, young guys. I don't know. Yeah, they have. <laughs> I know they have. It separated uh, by gender. Uh, there's a handicap class, etc. It's just it's impressive. I mean, there's not many drivers who have competed in marathons. Uh, I know Josh Wise when he was racing, he also did Ironman competitions and marathons. Same with Michael Waltrip, he ran uh, the Boston Marathon in 2000. Uh, Kyle Petty. And I believe Shannon Spake is actually going to be running the Chicago Marathon later this year. Kevin Stewart, did he, did he ever? Or Tony Stewart? And sorry, did he ever? Um, you know, partake in any marathons? I don't think so. No, no, just 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 checking. <laughs> but uh, the point <laughs> I'm making is Richard. Uh, Richard, you're a bad man. <laughs> well, I just to, you know, I mean, you could see him, him, and Ryan Newman out there. You know, <laughs> no, but, but think about a guy like um, Tony Kanaan. Tony Kanaan, who's done the Iron Man triathlon. Oh yeah, no, I know. It, it, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, throw throw uh, you know chubby old Tony Stewart in the mix and throw him under the bus, Richard. You're a bad man. But uh, yeah, a well. number of uh, drivers, NASCAR, IndyCar, etc., have started doing different things as far as working out, trying to 
keep in top shape to be in the car. Uh, Matty Benedetto uh, this year took up CrossFit. Uh, so it's interesting to see the different workout regimens that each mm-hmm. driver is uh, developing. Oh, they need it. You know, I mean, it, everybody sits there, and I think it's even worse in in NASCAR because you don't, you know, you don't see the drivers, you don't see the physical exertions they go through. But you look at the heat. I mean, it can be 120, 130, even sometimes 140 degrees inside those cars, uh, it, and it I, it can hit you. You know, if you're in there for three, four hours. And, you know, those, those are heavy cars. You know, it, it really does. People people don't give these guys the credit that they deserve a lot of the time. Well, in uh, Justin Allgaier's car at Iowa last year, uh, they had a temperature gauge for yeah. NBC. The temperature gauge got so hot that it actually malfunctioned. And instead of reading 151, which is what it was at the last day it had the camera on it, it was reading error. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is. It's um, yeah, that's hot. hot. And in that same race, Justin Allgaier's cool suit failed. Yeah. Ah, poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a ton of stories like that uh, about racing where guys who just have like had. I mean, who was the guy that said you know he got blisters on his feet? Oh, it was New- Ryan Newman at Phoenix. Well, what was the new one? Yeah. Been, uh, that's, uh, I want to say like Rusty Wallace at one point in time. I was going to say with, Ricky, with... Ricky Rudd at Martinsville. If I that's remember. it, Ricky Rudd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he his was, foot, he had third, like second, second degree burns on his foot. And he had won the, the race. Of the day, yeah. Was, After winning, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he was did the entire uh, victory lane interview from a stretcher. Yes, I remember that well, so. All right, guys. Well, um, we've got about just a few moments left to uh, throw around one final thought before we, uh, you know, move out of April into May, where we've got all these great events. You know, Monaco's coming up, Indy's coming up, uh, NASCAR, um, the, the 600's coming up, and the uh, All-Star Show's coming up. So uh, uh, final thought from, from everybody, and then we'll, uh, then we'll sign off. Seth, you're first. Uh, well, Chevrolet has yet to win a cup race this year. Uh, it, we are one quarter way into the season. The last time it took them this long or longer to win a cup race, 1971, 28 races. All right, Richard, that's probably the year you were born, right? Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. Or, or, or 10 years prior. Oh, I'm not. Gray's not here tonight. <laughs> Wrong one. No, Gray was born in 1950-something. Yeah, he yeah he remembers the Titanic going down to Gray. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> we love you, Gray. Don't worry. <laughs> um, now, we've actually, we touched on it a little bit this, um, you know, in this, this show already today. We don't know he mentioned it, but, you know, Formula E is starting to gain some traction. You know, whether it's forcefully or just because it is good racing, you know, you... you you watch some of those races. I've been watching them this year, and yeah, they're good races. It's good driving. A couple of silly little things, this power boost zone and all this sort of stuff, I think are a little bit silly. But fundamentally, they're getting some good races out of those cars, and it's only going to continue, and it's only going to grow as um, you know the the bigger manufacturers getting. Mercedes have um, had a shakedown of their new car for, for ahead of next year with Gary Paffett and guys like that. So... You know, there, there's certainly there's some traction being gained there, and they can go a little bit out of the typical realm of your normal racing series. For example, at the race in London uh, they're having later, it's actually half of the race is indoor. as uh, a giant exhibition centre in east of London there, and uh, three-quarters of the track is actually indoor because of the zero emissions. So... I think it's, um, you know, that's starting to gain some traction, Formula E, and people need to start paying attention to that because that's a really, really, really good race series. Yeah, I mean, I mean the thing that blows my mind about Formula E is that the, um, where they have been able to put races on, where, where other, I mean, because they had a Formula E race in Manhattan. I yeah. Mean, NASCAR and, and the IndyCar have, yeah, NASCAR and IndyCar have been trying to, and Formula One have been trying to get a race in that area forever. And they, that, you know, they, but but formally, oh yeah, fine, sure, yeah. Well, it's certainly, out, so. it's certainly part of it is the 
political standpoint, I think, from the certainly, you know, what you're certainly, doing. Certainly, certainly, yeah. yeah. But, um, but, but the manufacturer interest of Formula E is second to none because yeah. it's it's the wave of the future. So, but oh, yeah. uh, we got we got about a minute left for my final thought. My final thought is just that, uh, man, month of May is coming up. Excited about it. Um, I'll, I'll be uh, packing my bags and heading off to spend a whole month in Indianapolis, um, like I like to do. Going to get to see uh, uh, everything going on up there. But, uh, you know, the highlight of my week is always talking to you guys and talking about racing to you folks that tune in and listen to us. So uh, until then, I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank uh, iHeartRadio and Spreaker for hosting us. And um, all you folks that tune in and listen, we really appreciate you. Um, keep watching the races. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 